Welcome to Stock Talking, an exploration of financial markets in the context of the post-corona world. COVID-19 has changed the way we value equity, debt, and business as a whole. My goal is to find great companies who can thrive in the new normal. I can't wait to get started. All right, everybody. Welcome to episode six of Stock Talking. Today, we have a special episode not really focused on stocks, more focused on movies, shows, and podcasts. We may touch on a little bit of Netflix, Amazon, and Disney+, Plus, but overall, just having a fun time in a new special segment with the guy who knows the most about movies of anyone I've ever met and has the best taste in them. Trevor Donahue, everybody. Good to have you on the show. Thanks, Betty. Yeah, we didn't talk about that title, but uh, I'll gladly accept. Knows the most about movies. This is, this is an honor. Yeah, I mean, I don't know that many people, so I don't know how big a compliment <laughs> it, it is, but you do, you're definitely a movie buff in my mind. Thanks, man. Yeah, been watching a lot of movies these days with all this uh, at-home time, so yeah, we can, we can talk some movies. Let's talk about a project that's very special and near and dear to both your and my heart, uh, the Top 100 Movie Project, or because we couldn't get the domain name and had to put a three in place of the E, the Tofunder Project. So yeah. why don't you describe to our audience what this project is and why we did it? Yeah, this is, I don't even remember, this must be like three or four years going now. Uh, Tofunder 3D came about when Benny was, Ben, you were, I would say 80% of movies you watched for about a year were in your top five all-time favorite movies. This top five probably grew to about 60 movies before we threw down and decided you actually had to rank them so that you could no longer have as many movies in your top, however many, top five, top ten. Yeah, so that I think was it. we definitely accomplished the mission of me no longer saying this is the top 100 movie for me. Or maybe not quite, but I, I definitely say it less frequently now. It was a forcing function to identify what a top 10 and top 100 movie was. Um, strangely enough, like we don't have that much crossover in our top 10 movies. Yeah, you know, I think we both sort of ran into realizing how hard of an assignment this actually is and how much it's not like an objective you know, neither of us, you know, went to film school or, or it, it's very subjective. So, you know, you have like really trashy comedies that are ahead of like, you know, legendary movies that are critically acclaimed and, uh, and definitely reading through other people's Toe Funder or just like top movie lists. Uh, it's a great, it's a great way to just like meet somebody. And, um, and we actually talked a little bit about that when we first sort of formulated this idea, um, how we sort of pour ourselves and sort of represent our ideals through the art that we absorb um and i think briefly we discussed even like you know how would this work as a dating app or how would this work as sort of like a social app where we all sort of rate our various favorite things you know whatever it could be it could be movies uh songs um i've done i've done like toe funders with fruit uh, and like had you know a good forty five minute hour debate about whether strawberries or raspberries are a better fruit, um, and so it's just a great I mean it's a great way to like meet somebody and sort of and sort of break into you know how they you know with their ideals and and you really can you really can get a lot more out of you know learning from somebody by just the sort of media that they absorb. Completely agree. I've never gone over my top five or top 10 without someone getting really upset and telling yeah, me I'm wrong. Totally. I'm going to read <laughs> your top five. And the reason I didn't do top three is because there's one in there that really surprised me. And I'll let oh, you guess go. which one it is, but let's, I'm going to read your top five for the audience. Let's Number one, The Matrix. Number two, Star Wars New Hope. Three, Star Wars Empire Strikes Back. Four, Aladdin. Five, Lord of the Rings, Fellowship of the Ring. Which of those five do you think surprised me? I, I'm... I'm going to guess that you're surprised by Aladdin. You get, yep, that's right. Yeah. Oh man. So a lot of this, like I said, a lot of this is super personal, man. Like I, this, Aladdin, just to speak to that one in specific, uh, super, super like, you know, important movie for me growing up. I would just, I probably saw that. I probably watched it close to 50 times before I even turned 18. So, I mean, just the sheer volume alone has to, uh, you got to pay some homage to that. Um, but I also, there are elements of that movie that I sort of represent in other movies that I rank highly on my list too. I love a good comeback story, uh, zero to hero kind of thing. Um, also just another specific, like Robin Williams performance in that movie alone, I think puts it up there with one of the greatest animated, um, 
sort of like voiceover performances of all time. I haven't taken the time to think about who else would be in that mix, but his work as the genie is like, still blows my mind every time. I, I, like I said, I've seen this probably 50 times, if not, if not a hundred times in my life. And I'm sure when I have kids someday, I'll see it a hundred more times. Um, but I, I still pick up new things. I mean, he's speaking like so quickly and he's just sort of, it seems so natural and off the cuff and, and probably a lot of it's improvised. Um, but I'm still picking up like new little lines that I didn't understand as a kid from that, um, from his work as the genie. So yeah, man, Aladdin, I had to throw an animated, I'm a big animated movie fan. I had to throw an animated movie in my top five. I probably, I mean, it could even be a 50, 50, like animated to, um, you know, to, to, uh, filmed movie. Uh, ratio as far as what I'm watching these days so yeah had to represent animation and uh, for me you know I know a lot of people probably throw Toy Story above it but for my money Aladdin has got to be number one got a couple follow-ups on that I think one interesting thing about Aladdin and many of the other Disney movies is the frequency of the songs there's like a musical number pretty much every 20 to 30 minutes any Disney movie you watch so broad question and a specific question the specific one is favorite song from Aladdin and the broad one is how do you feel about songs in movies in general? It's a great question, man. I really, I love music. And obviously, I mean, there's not a lot of people out there who are going to be like anti music, but I'm sure for some people, it's not exactly what they're looking to get out of a movie. Um, Obviously Disney does it frequently and does it very well. Um, Yeah, maybe I guess for, so favorite Aladdin song, I'm going to go, I don't know the title. It's just, it's the first song that comes up as far as I know, um, where Aladdin's like in the marketplace sort of dodging the, uh, the like castle security. Uh, it's like the one jump ahead of the hitman. That line is like, or that whole, that whole song. And it's just that whole scene is just like an amazing start to that movie. Um, sort of gives you insight to like his slickness and a little bit about uh, who he is as a character. Um, and I don't know. It's a cool song. I guess I don't really seek out, Movies that have, I, I don't, I, I didn't really grow up going to musicals or watching musicals or I don't have a really big background or, you know, appreciation for, for musical theater. So it's sort of my appreciation for song and movies sort of ends it with those animated Disney movies, but they do a heck of a job. And yeah, I mean, I can't really, I can't really speak to whether I love it or hate it. I just think some movies do it really well and it sort of seamlessly fits into the movie and other movies, you know, not so much. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I, I think One Jump Ahead of the Hitman is by far the best song in there. A Whole New World definitely is kind of the, the pop favorite of the crowd. But oh, totally. Yeah, you, you got the right one. Yeah, um, I don't know. I, again, like, you know, when you're, I don't know. I wasn't like a mushy sort of romance kid, you know, trying to like, I guess our generation trying to like, you know, be masculine and, and not get too, you know, you can't roll into school in like third grade being like, I love, can you feel the love tonight? You know, like <laughs> I had to pick the cool, and it is, I mean, you know, even to this day, I, I would say that it's a cool song, but, uh, but yeah, that probably had some, that was probably a factor in, in that being a preferred song. Jumping from number four to number one, I, I got to ask you about the, your top favorite, The Matrix, which, you know, a lot of podcasts, I like to debate my guests, but you're not going to get any debate from me on this. The, the Matrix, even though I didn't put it as my number one, I believe it's in my top three. I'm a huge fan. I'm shocked how many people haven't seen this movie. Uh, talk about why The Matrix won this contest for you. Yeah, well, I could get controversial and tell you that each time I watch it, I feel like I'd like it a little less. But that could be influenced by the Toe Funder. Like, it's a lot of or the, the, the list itself. It's a lot of pressure saying that, like, something is your favorite all-time movie. But the reason it's number one is because the time I watched it, 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 it was, like, unlike any movie I'd ever seen, the sort of like philosophical like basis of that movie like blew my 12 year old mind. I think I was at that age where like I was able to understand it. Um, but it also sort of pushed me to like think in a different way. And it, it really like challenged me as a movie movie viewer um, with that sort of like philosophical undertone. But it was also just a very sweet action movie. Like even if you don't sort of pick up on that, uh, more philosophical sort of, um, you know, deeper meaning, uh, the action alone and, uh, uh, that it, it carries the movie. So, so yeah, I mean, it was my favorite, like all through high school, I would say matrix was my favorite movie. 
Um, it definitely like served the longest term as the movie I would call my favorite. And so I had to throw it in there at number one. It is very hard for me to throw any movie above Star Wars, especially the originals. Um, and I don't want to get off topic here, but like just the memories of watching that movie, like my dad really pushed me into watching that movie. I watched it all the time with him. That was like a big connecting point. Like we both loved that kind of thing. And science fiction to this day is my favorite movie genre, I would say. And you could argue that, you know, Matrix has those elements to it too. Um, but yeah, it's hard. It's hard to throw any movie above Star Wars. But I, ha- I did, I remember where I was. I remember who I was with. I could tell you, like, I probably, I could tell you a lot of things about that first time I saw The Matrix. And um, so, yeah, that's got to be, that's got to be number one for me. Yeah, other than The Matrix, like the the Star Wars uh, all the originals, I think, are in my top ten. You have two of them. I I have to ask you before we move on to the next topic about where Star Wars has gone. It's interesting because I, I just finished uh, Bob Iger's book, former CEO of Disney. He talks a lot about deciding to buy Lucasfilm and how involved George Lucas was in the, the new films, which actually is not very. Uh, George Lucas kind of stepped away once Disney acquired Lucasfilm. I know there's a lot of controversy around what's happened uh after the prequels i don't think anybody liked uh, episode one two and three seven eight nine i think there are mixed opinions so before we get into my feelings on the new ones i want to ask you what do you think about what disney has done to the franchise uh and it could be mandalorian it could be seven eight nine uh could be some of the side quest movies i know we both liked uh, solo uh rogue one so give me a data dump on the new star wars yeah so all right i'll start with episode one two and three and obviously when those came out like couldn't have been more exciting like it was i i I can't remember exactly when they came out but i was probably like adolescent age uh my favorite movie series of all time you know the original star wars movies coming out with like a modern sort of like digitally upgraded uh continuation of the story like it had all of the build-up for it to be my new favorite movie um or movie series or whatever um and i'm somebody too who like i very i try not to let public opinion influence me and 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 to contradict that immediately i would say if anything i probably zig where people zag so i was like first one to come to defense of of episode one and uh two and three uh and say like oh they're not that bad um but i've watched them several times since and you know it's hard to defend. Uh, there, there are great elements of it. I love the world building. I think, um, I think there are a lot of like really cool aspects um, and things that they did through that movie series. The writing's really hard to, I think mean, it's not the best writing of any movie I've seen. Um, yeah, those, it, was, it was disappointing, obviously. Um, but just to speak more to like, you know, the progression of, or degression of, of Disney in general, um, it's, I've been getting bummed out. Like, there's still, like, all the Pixar stuff I've seen lately has been great. Um, but I don't know, man. I've been rolling through these uh, these live-action Disney animated, like, remakes. Uh, and I just don't understand it. Like, I don't, I, I, I feel like they're, you know, they're trying to, like, cash in off of, like, previously successful um, movies. Uh, but they're not doing anything to, like, to push them to be better or even to, I, I have no idea what they're doing. I, I, you know, we, I watched the sort of Disney Pixar documentary about all the pressure and all of the work and all the artists that went into creating some of those original movies. And I'm thinking like, you've had 20 years, you have more resources than ever. How are you not improving or at least staying on that level? Like, I, I don't understand how you can take such a big step back uh, with some of these some of the new movies they've made. So yeah, no, I, overall, very disappointed with Disney these days. The newest Star Wars series, I would say, is, is okay. Um, if I were a kid growing up now and like these were the first Star Wars movies that I saw, I certainly wouldn't have the same attachment that I had as a kid seeing the 70s and uh, 80s uh, Star Wars movies. So I would, I mean, you know, again, not somebody who knows a ton about um, stocks or the market or um, corporations like Disney, but... I, I feel like they're, uh, they're selling what they used to be selling and, uh, and uh, they're not keeping up with sort of the, the uh, shifting technologies and, and demands of, of or uh, the standard of what, what a like, good modern movie is. Yeah, I think that makes sense on, 
the most recent Star Wars. It, there's definitely a difference between what's being made now and what was made when we were kids. Um, another follow-up on Funder. So a kind of controversy you and I ran into is I included a bunch of documentaries on my top 100 and you did not. Uh, you said that was illegal. So let's hear your thoughts on why documentaries <laughs> can't be part of your favorite movie list. Yeah, I don't. I mean, I don't want to tell you how to do your toe funder. You know, like, and so much of this is personal. You know, and that's what that's what makes it so enjoyable. I think to debate with people, uh, but it's what makes it so hard to compare people's lists. Uh, for me personally, I felt like you know documentaries and like feature you know films are are just different. They're just different animals. For me, it would be like including an audio book as one of your favorite albums, musical albums of all time. I, I just, I feel like they're just different. And, and uh, so it would be really hard for me to include documentaries. Now, if it were like, like, I don't know, visual media experiences list, I just think it, I, I, you could still, you could do it. I just think it'd be a hard thing to do, but I commend you for trying it. Obviously uh, I love documentaries. It's actually probably one of the things I go to most these days. If I see something new on one of my streaming platforms, um, but, but yeah, no, it's so hard. It's so hard to compare free solo and Aladdin, you know, or whatever, whatever uh, docs you're going to try to compare. I think it's, it was too hard for me to do. So I stuck with all, uh, all feature length movies. Yeah. I think if I could free solo would easily go top 10 for me. <laughs> I mean, I, that's a movie I watched the day after I finished yeah. watching it for the first time. But I, I, I buy that point. I mean, they are fundamentally two different genres of film. Again, did not go to film school as you said. Right. No, that's, I think that's what part, you know, part of what makes it so fun. It's like, I have no technical qualifications to, to judge these movies. It's just about how I felt about them when I watched them. Exactly. I mean, it's a lot of it's reflecting on the past. And one thing about the past uh, that makes this kind of difficult is a lot of it's remembering when you were younger, how you felt about a movie at a specific time. So I think there's always going to be a nostalgia factor that perhaps makes earlier ones rank a little bit higher. That said, I want to ask you, could you see a scenario where there's a future movie made that creeps into your top 10 or even your favorite movie? That's such a good question. I really don't know. I really don't know. I do feel like, you know, so much of this, so much of ranking a movie is like where you were. And so much of it is, is your nostalgia. And I think our ability to, to appreciate any art reflects on where we were and how we felt when we absorbed it. And so I don't think this is specific to movies. I know a lot of music I'll go back and listen to because I have a vivid childhood memory of like sitting with a good friend and like, you know, listening to this for the first time and experiencing for this for the first time. And I can still sort of feel that, that connection that I had with that person and, and like where I was at that place in my life when I, you know, hear the song or, or watch these movies. So I do think there is a major, major nostalgia component to how we rank movies that, especially that we saw a long time ago. So no, I don't know. I mean, there were, I would say of movies that I've seen in the last five or 10 years, I know Ex Machina and Arrival, you know, I mentioned I'm a big sci-fi fan. Those were two that I put pretty high on the list, but they didn't even crack the top five. So as far as top three, I, I don't know if it'll happen. I don't know if it can happen. Um, but it'd be exciting if, if one felt like it, you know, it was the right move to put it up in the top three. Yeah. If slash when it happens, we'll, we'll have you back on the podcast. We'll have you back yeah. on the podcast period. <laughs> ben, I also, I wanted to just share something that I, I heard in a movie and I, and I got to do a little bit more research about this, but I was watching a documentary the other day and they were saying psychologically the way that we reflect on a movie after we watch it, like how we grade it and evaluate it is based on sort of two data points. It's the, the best moment of that movie, the one sort of like cinematic peak of the movie and the ending. Like we neurologically, we use these sort of two data points when we evaluate movies. And I, and I have to read more about it, but I, I did want to throw that out there because I thought that was super interesting and relevant to what we're talking about that. You know, we think we have this ability to absorb and, and calculate and, and sort of, uh, you know, figure out all these, you know, little nuances in the movie and determine you know, how it ranks among other movies, but really the way our minds sort of, um, sort of grade it is really, uh, it's, it's more simplified than, than I think we think. I completely agree on, on the ending argument. Uh, I saw the way back, uh, last month, it's the movie where Ben Affleck is the coach of a high school basketball team. Um, 
recovering alcoholic, but the ending without giving anything away really bothered me. And <laughs> I took such qualms with how they chose to end that movie. It seriously detracted from my enjoyment of it. I mean, everything else was great. Uh, you know, the climactic scene, it's a sports movie. So you can, you can imagine what probably sure. happened. Yeah. Uh, but and same with remember, I mean, remember the times you have pretty high, but the ending of that movie uh, I, I can't say I loved it. I found it a little bit upsetting. I'm a happy ending type guy. And uh, <laughs> the, the tragedy that ensued at the end of Remember the, the Titans definitely yeah. was, it left, left me feeling a little I sad. I mean, it's based on a true story, man. You can't, you can't write life like that. But uh, no, I, I agree. Uh, I, I mean, the ending's huge. Obviously, it's the thing you sort of leave the movie. Uh, it's the feeling you leave the movie with. So uh, yeah, it doesn't surprise me that that's one of the biggest data points we walk away with. Yep. You were talking a little earlier about selection and, and how a huge part of your enjoyment of the movie is when you watched it, uh, who you were with, circumstances surrounding it. That kind of brings me into the next topic I was going to ask you about, which is streaming. So pre-streaming and post-streaming, I think there's this selection difference. Uh, prior to Netflix and Disney Plus um, and Amazon Prime Video, I, I just think seeing movies were a much rarer instance uh, there was a lot of you and your buddies would say, what's currently out? Do we even want to go to a movie? There'd be, there'd be more hype built around movies coming out. Um, and I think now I certainly consume probably more movies than I used to. Some of a much lower quality. And I think I was watching, you know, five or 10 years ago. So a, a couple questions here. Um, how do you think movie quality is held up since you, we've had all these streaming services. I know you're a consumer of Netflix and, and Disney Plus, and do you think uh, of the, the three streaming services, there's one you particularly enjoy, or is it like you think all three have good things and it really depends on the specific thing? It is, it is interesting, at least from, from sort of like a, a psychology standpoint, I think it's changed the way that we choose what we watch. Um, when I open up Netflix, I usually don't have an idea. Like I'm usually not being like, oh, I wanna watch this, this is the platform that it's on, get to that platform and hit play. I'm usually, I'm like a scroller. So I'm like trying to find the next, you know, great thing that I'd never heard of uh, that I can talk to all my friends about. So um, I think a lot of these platforms I've noticed have a very similar like structure. And then as someone who sort of programs, then you might be able to speak a little bit more to, to that. But I guess there, there must be some kind of like uh, objective research that, that says this is the way we want to present them. We want sort of these images of, uh, of like the, you know, the DVD cover or whatever the, you know, the movie poster. Uh, and we want people to like side scroll through these. And, and also I feel like it's super interesting the way that Netflix and, and a lot of these streaming services services make it really difficult to access their full library. And I think I'm completely diverting from your question here. Um, but, but I do, I am curious if you have any, any thoughts on that. And, and part of it for me is or, or at least like a hypothesis that I would have on this is maybe they don't want you to just have access to an exhaustive list because maybe it doesn't look as deep if you can just scroll to the end of it. Um, and maybe you lose sort of that aspect of like discovery being like, Oh, I didn't know. I didn't know they had this. That's great. Um, but I don't know. Do you, do you have any thoughts on, on like, on why they might structure it that way, at least from like a, like a programming standpoint? Yeah, I think I have a good amount on this topic and one to start off is how I used to decide what movies I want to watch. Uh, it became very different because of Netflix and streaming. So when you and I talk about what movies we want to watch for our movie club, so we've you know periodically tried to watch movies together and had a selection criteria and a back and forth over what we wanted to pick. I think we'll look at Rotten Tomatoes. We'll talk about you know, what type of movie do we want to see. There's some thought put into it. Um, I think with Netflix, I do the same thing you do, where if something catches my eye, I'll watch the trailer and then often end up uh, kind of being coerced into it because I was curious. Even when stuff starts getting hype on, on social media, I, I kind of feel this inclination of wanting to see it. The example I was going to bring up was Bird Box, which to kind of address your question of, uh, is there like a programming or software or business reason uh, why this content is presented the way it is. I think Bird Box was one of Netflix's first original content movies, and they really wanted to push it quite hard. So I know I had read some stuff that 
they inv- invested a significant amount on putting it on their front page, on advertising it, on doing whatever possible to make sure this was in the public domain and people knew about it. And it got me, you know, I ended up watching it and I didn't think it was a terrible movie either. It was, it was kind of unique. It was interesting. And I watched the whole thing. Did you watch Bird Box? I didn't, I didn't, but I, I kind of see what you're saying here. Like Tiger King was kind of the new version of that, where it's like, you know, a Netflix original idea and we're going to like promote the heck out of it. It's going to be the first thing you see when you sign into Netflix. Uh, you're going to scroll down and see it through like six different categories. Um, and I was just sort of thinking too about, about how they sort of limit or make it a little bit like you have to dig a little bit to sort of find some, some of the things that you might be looking for. And, I, and I'm wondering if you think sort of the idea of like the paradox of choice, I'm not sure if you're familiar with the paradox of choice, but, but people, I think we, we, we think we want to have a lot of options and we think we want to have this like giant buffet of food in front of us, but actually it can be a really anxiety inducing thing and it can be a really stressful thing where we have to pick through these hundreds and hundreds of options as opposed to sort of having this sort of like limited, even like binary, like, am I watching this or this um, choice? I think is, uh, I, I don't know if that's the reason they did that, but I do feel that too, where it's like, if I have nine things I want to watch, it's a lot harder to decide if I'm, you know, rather than just deciding between two, two options. Yeah. I almost would describe the paradox of choice as, stressful for me. I, I suppose that is what the research shows, right? That the more choices you have, the more it affects your mental stability mm-hmm. negatively. For, for me, this manifests in just trying to discuss movies or TV shows or podcasts with people. You start talking about it and you realize there's 18, 25 different things that you have to put on your list. And I don't even think I have a list at this point. I think I'll listen to what people tell me, but I basically feel too much stress to create a to-do list of shows to watch. Yeah, no, I actually have a list. It's so funny. I have a li- every time someone recommends anything, like it could be a restaurant, uh, it could, I put it in my phone and I have this running list of like recommended things. And it's like this spreadsheet with all these tabs and I never look at it. Like if I'm ever choosing what restaurant to go to, I'm never like, oh, I have that phenomenal exhaustive list of everything that's ever been recommended to me. I just, I don't know, I go to Yelp or I just, uh, I like start researching something myself and I don't know if it's like the excitement of discovering it for myself or if I just like, I don't have a good enough system with utilizing this list yet. Um, but no, you're right. I don't, I don't do a very good job of like absorbing those recommendations and actually like acting on them. And, uh, and I, I almost wish I did that more. I think in lieu of a list, I probably have this hidden threshold where, when something gets a ton of attention and people start pushing it to the forefront, I have to watch it. I think that's, this is what happened to me for Tiger King. There are three or four separate people who are talking about how insane, would you call it a documentary, a TV series? Yeah, yeah, it's a documentary. Yeah. And the premise sounded so absurd. And then also seeing some of the memes on the internet, I I didn't get it. And part of me wanted to get it. So I think there's a social inclusion component too, where you want to be in on the joke after I watched Tiger King, I was like, oh, these jokes are quite funny. Even though yeah. the tiger, the whole premise of Tiger King is actually kind of upsetting. There's murder, oh, yeah. there's animal mistreatment. Right, right. And it's, it's very strange culturally to, in, this, at, in one breath, like laugh at it. I mean, it is funny. But then in another, there's some terrible things also in this documentary. Yeah, well, you're sort of talking about like the social, the social pressure and like how, how much does like the social pressure of having not seen something or listened to something impact your desire to actually watch it? And I think this is sort of an interesting conversation just about like how and why we absorb art. I was thinking about this the other day because I don't listen to music. I would say a tenth of what I used to listen to. In high school, I would be listening to, I'd be trying to find a new album every week and I'd be talking to my friends about it. And it was this like, phenomenal experience of absorbing this new art, liking it or not liking it, talking to people about it. Um, And I just think that, you know, high school was a time where um, people were sharing a lot more art and music was a lot more like socially relevant. Uh, And to me, I don't share music with people anymore. I don't talk about music with people anymore. And I think that dictates a lot of why I'm not seeking new music and listening to new music. And so I do feel like there is a strong 
a strong connection between the types of pressure, social pressure that we get and the type of connections that we make through the media that we consume and our actual choice to consume that media. I would talk about music with you. <laughs> I, I think I've, I basically go off now what Spotify's weekly, Spotify weekly or Spotify discover, whatever it recommends, I'll start listening to. But as you said, I don't actively seek out music, but I know we've bonded on, on some music that like Anderson Pock, for instance, I've found out about him through you. So when that discovery does happen, it's great. But for whatever reason, music to me kind of has been left uh, left on the curbside in favor of movies, TV, and podcasts. Totally, and I think I think a big part of that is just because the pre- the social pressures that we experience have changed. So I think you know, like do you ever do you ever uh, I don't know. I think we all have a certain number of movies that we haven't seen that we sort of know are like epic classic like legendary movies and that, oh, we're going to talk then, about one of them okay oh, yeah. well because if if someone brings it up you have this feeling of like oh shit dude, like i gotta tell him i gotta tell him i've never seen it and it's just like oh oh well, yeah how have you never seen that and it's like this almost this like shameful experience like and i and i wonder how much of that sort of like avoiding that negative shame experience is what drives us to actually sit down and consume these movies. I mean, you mentioned Bird Box being one of those where it's just like, or, or, or Tiger King or whatever, being one of those where it's like, you heard from three or four people. Like, that's your warning shot. That's your warning shot right there. Like, hey, you get to five or six people, one of those people is going to be going to be disappointed in you or is going to be like baffled by the fact that you haven't taken the time to sit down and actually watch this. So I don't know. I, I, I'm curious about how much of, of this art is about or how much of experiencing the sort of art that we experience is about actually just the the joy of of the experience and how much of it is about like avoiding the social shame of having not seen something this was an absolutely perfect segue because we i think saw a movie together on thursday uh not in real life but virtually through the extension netflix party we streamed it together (laughs) that i think for me i don't know if this was just true for you but the reason that I wanted to see it was I felt it was a classic movie that had been mentioned numerous times. In fact, there was even a Super Bowl ad about it that I didn't really get um, that made me want to see it. This movie was, of course, Groundhog Day, mm-hmm. which I'm really excited to talk about yeah. <laughs> because I think I liked it a little bit more yeah. than you. So on the spot, review yeah. of Groundhog It'd Day. It'd be hard to like it less than me. So it's not a surprise that you liked it more than me. No, um, I was disappointed. I mean, so we sort of talked about it and, and my idea in reading the description of this movie was like, Oh, there's some cool sort of like philosophy at, you know, being talked about here. So for those of you who aren't familiar with groundhog day, um, you know, again, not trying to spoil it, but Bill Murray gets sort of trapped in this loop of having to re-experience the same day over and over again. Um, And I, I think that's sort of a cool like thought experiment and it's just sort of like a, like an interesting idea, but I, (laughs) I don't want to say I hated the way that they did it, but I didn't get a lot out of the way that they did it. Basically, to me, the moral of the story was if you learn enough about a person and you have enough information, you can manipulate them to do whatever you want. And like, that's the moral. That's like, that's like, you know, again, I'm going to actually, I'm going to totally ruin this movie. So spoiler alert here. Like, that's what you get out of the movie. Like he ends up winning and getting the things that he wants, even though he's a bad person because he's able to like manipulate people into giving to him what he wants so that bothered me and I don't know but I, I think Bill Murray's very funny my dad is a huge Bill Murray fan I, I like a lot of uh I, I like several of his movies maybe not a lot of his movies um I get I, I don't know I think he's a funny funny person um but I don't know the negatives outweighed the positives on this one for me yeah Bill I think he had his moments which is maybe why I liked it more than you did there there were some humorous uh, parts of it. But in general, I agree with your argument that the movie is basically about mastering different skill sets given what perhaps was 35, 40, 50 years stuck in this same day replaying itself. So first of all, don't worry about ruining the movie because I think right, maybe cool. like five people listen yeah, to this podcast, probably so. less, probably just <laughs> us two. <will. laughs> if you got to this point in the podcast, congratulations. Yeah. I could send you a t-shirt or something. Super fan. Yeah. yeah. But I mean, he becomes this expert in ice sculpting, piano, yeah, right. uh, putting tires on cars. Weird stuff. Know, the, list, the list goes on. It's I mean, not what I would choose to get good at. Maybe yeah. piano. That's a cool one. The ice sculpting, baby. I don't know. I, yeah. Why? 
and he, he somehow knows every person in a town. I, there's yeah. there's I a lot that, going on here. That makes sense. I don't know. So like we, we've both seen the edge of tomorrow uh, with Tom Cruise and like, I love that movie. I don't know. I'm not like the biggest Tom Cruise fan out there. Um, but, but like, that was sort of what I was looking to get at. They really like, and obviously it's sci-fi, so maybe I'm a little biased here, but I felt like they just did more with that whole idea of if you knew what was going to happen in a day, how would you use that information to, to like get the outcome that you're, that you're looking for? Um, so obviously a more modern movie, probably higher budget, but, um, but yeah, I, I guess I, I might have just been holding it up to an unfair standard, sort of thinking that it was going to be along the same lines in quality as um, Edge of Tomorrow. And, uh, and it's a different movie. That's a comedy. I mean, there's all kinds of reasons why it doesn't live up to that sort of standard. But that was probably another factor in me just disliking it in general. I kind of would put that in the category of time travel movies, even though there's time travel is not necessarily a thing in um, Groundhog Day or Edge of Tomorrow. It's more repeating time and figuring out, given this information, what would you do? Source code is another example, right? Source code basically is the same thing as Groundhog Day. But yeah, I love it too. I love source code, man. It's so good. Jake Gyllenhaal, I feel like he's underrated. I don't know. People throw underrated around too much, but he's so good. That movie's amazing. I'm a sucker, I would say, for any movie that involves one character knowing more about how time plays out than other characters. Back to the Future, another example. Primer, yeah, cool that's premise. a good one. Yep. Um, but yeah, I guess it's like, so I, I think we've, we've sort of checked off the, uh, <laughs> the things I disliked about, about Groundhog Day. But I thought the Netflix party experience was, was decent. I think it was pretty fun. I think if we had more people, like it was just you and I, I think if we had more people sort of like fueling the chat, uh, and sort of making fun of it as we went. I think that was probably my favorite part is just getting to like, you know, uh, make fun of the movie in the chat there. I saw, I'm not sure if you noticed this too, but um, Netflix party had pretty bad Google Chrome or Chrome extension reviews. I think it was like two and a half or three stars. So I'm not really sure what's fueling that. It's a pretty simple program. I mean, and also I was having some problem with my computer. So I kept accidentally pausing the movie for you, which was probably frustrating. Um, but yeah, getting, I mean, it's not that different than just sort of texting and watching a movie other than the fact that, you know, they're all, they're all on the same part of the movie. So. I liked it. It reminds me a little of like a mystery science 3000 or director. I, I don't know if you've ever, this is a popular thing when DVDs were a thing, the extra would have the director's commentary over the movie. And I would, I would watch that sometimes. So I, if you've already seen the movie before, I think it would be a fun time to throw on Netflix parties and commentate over it with your buddies. Oh, totally. Yeah, totally. No, I, I agree with you about the, uh, the director's commentary. That's always like some really cool insight there. If you, especially if you've seen it, um, or obviously I had only watched the director's commentary if you've seen it before. Um, but yeah, getting to add in your own comedy. I mean, it's just sort of like watching, especially with bad movies, you know, you go into watching a bad movie with some friends and you're like, we're pretty much going to talk over this whole movie and just make fun of it the whole time. So if you go into it with that premise, it definitely worked out well for us. We could try it with a good movie sometime and see how it goes because the chat might be a little bit quieter. But no, it was definitely fun. I think there's definitely a demand for it now. Um, and I'm interested to see if it picks up, if it becomes a more of like a popular thing to do. And, and just going more into sort of streaming services in general, like I've been impressed. I mean, Netflix has been that streaming platform that's really like ingrained itself culturally. Like I would say it was been, it's been almost 10 years, which is scary since I heard the phrase Netflix and chill, which is funny, right? But like, but like that is an example of it becoming something that is like completely culturally ingrained. Um, and so when companies can do that, when they can, when they can create, you know, phrases or, you know, you know, popular nomenclature that includes their brand, I think that's extremely valuable. You can't overlook that. Um, and nobody is doing Hulu and chill. You know, Disney Plus is a little late to the game, but no one's doing Disney, uh, Disney Plus and chill. Um, and so, yeah, so we can talk a little bit more about those other streaming services if, um, if you want. But I, I mean, I feel, I feel pretty good about Netflix and their, um, their original content. I've seen some pretty cool things lately. Um, and uh, just their, their, their product in general has always impressed me. I think it's been, it's been consistent. They were there. They have a good balance of movies and TV shows. I know Hulu is mostly TV shows, 
I actually had a Hulu subscription for a little while and wasn't the biggest fan, but I also paid for like the cheap version. So I'm not really sure. I haven't had the, the goods. Yeah. My, my take on this is I love Netflix. I will never unsubscribe, but I think multiple of these services can exist. I mean, I pay for a few of them. I, I do Netflix. I have Disney plus. Um, I mean, Disney plus specifically for me, I wanted to watch, um, well, actually, this wasn't related. So Last Dance, right? The Michael Jordan documentary. Right. I need to get the ESPN Plus app from the PlayStation Store, which apparently is okay. free now. But if there's a specific thing I'd, I'd like to watch, I'm usually willing to do one month for five yep. bucks or something. Yep. Um, exactly it's actually why. movies. Going to the movie theater, I'm more hesitant to pull the trigger on, especially when I've been disappointed a couple times now. The, the most recent one being the final Star Wars, which... Oh, we won't talk about it. Yeah, don't do it, man. But and, like, here's the thing. <laughs> you know, ESPN Plus, like, I wanted to watch The Last Dance. Love Michael Jordan. But I also knew like there's other ESPN stuff I like as well, like the horse competition I wanted to watch. When they bring basketball back, I want to watch that. Baseball, like ESPN Plus offers a bunch of stuff I'm interested in. So I've had the same experience with HBO Go as well. Like I wanted to watch Game of Thrones but I also know like Succession and other shows are, are going to be interesting for me too. Yeah. HBO has been, been always been that one. It's like, why don't I just get it? Cause I've just, everything from there has been recommended. It's apparently one of the best as well. What was the, what was the horse competition, Ben? Is it a basketball so they had, or are we talking about like fighting horses here? No, no. Like I'm, I'm talking about, uh, this was maybe two weeks ago. I think Zach Levine maybe won it, but they had a, a horse competition. It was like Chris Paul, uh, there were several w- WNBA hey, players. Yeah. Paul Pierce. Paul Pierce got smoked by Zach Levine. And of the, course, dude. Wait, is he just round. dunking the whole time? That's not fair. There's no dunking. Uh, oh, okay. Paul Pierce, I think All his right. issue is he was playing on an outdoor court, so there was a good amount of wind there. Yeah, he's 50 years old. Yeah, Chauncey Billups was in it. But I'm surprised <laughs> you didn't watch this. It, it, no, it might I didn't be worth hear the, about it. Yeah, look at some of the clips. Uh, there's been one like real sporting event in the last like few months. I completely missed it. It was the NFL draft. Um but yeah, no, I, I, I mean, especially now, I think any sort of sport event is going to crush in ratings. I know, um, I know the draft had the most viewers in the history of the draft, which is absolutely no surprise. Um, and I know this, um, I'm hearing whispers of a Phil Mickelson and Tiger Woods, uh, Peyton Manning and Tom Brady for some golf tournament, which I also think is just going to like break television and, and all, all kinds of records and, and make all of the money in the world. And hopefully, uh, hopefully we can break COVID with it as well. I'll throw you a real hot takey question because I know yeah. the same question has been answered by numerous pundits, but I want to hear you because you're the pundit you I respect the most. Oh, let's go. So, <laughs> uh, sports without fans. This is th- something where people are like, oh, it just doesn't work. It does work, blah, blah, huh. blah. Uh, would, would you, I think I know your answer to this. Does, does that bother you at all? Does are you okay me? with sports without fans? Oh man, as someone who's stuck at home with no sports right now, I think I'll have the same answer as everyone else, which is like, let's just get it back. If we can do it safely, let's just do it. Like I don't need fans in the stadium, but I will, I will present a counterpoint that I think might be interesting, which is, uh, you know, you hear comedians talk a lot about how important the room is, right? Because I guess large rooms, you don't have that sort of like reverberation of those like laughter um, sound waves. And, um, and whatever, like, I, you know, you can talk to several comedians about this. It's, it's pretty universally accepted that larger rooms are really a lot harder to, to, um, to have like a good uh, stand-up act or have a good comedic act where small rooms are a lot more effective. And I do feel like there's that sort of like energy density, um, that really is just sort of like helps, um, and I also think laughter is a really social thing. And, uh, and if you, if you hear people like I'll be watching something alone and something will be really funny, but I won't laugh out loud. But if something, if I'm with a bunch of people, I will laugh out loud. And I'm wondering sort of like, what is that is, is, you know, and obviously some people can watch movies and laugh out loud. Um, but I do feel like a lot of like laughter is sort of this like socially influenced thing. And so I wonder like how much of an effect does that have on sports? Like if someone hits a home run and it's just silent and we hear one of these like really boring old baseball commentary guys just, you know, flipping out, but it's just him and there's nobody like pumped up in the stadium. You know, you get some of that energy through the screen. You get sometimes the camera rattling and you get 
that like audio feedback that sort of just like elicits that emotional reaction from the home viewer, even just being like, oh, something exciting just happened. So I feel like get it back. I you know, we need sports back. If it's safe, then do it. I, there's no question. I'm not arguing that. But I do think you'll miss something. I do think you'll notice this slight energy difference in watching these games um, and experiencing these games. Um, but it'll be interesting. I mean, we'll have to see. That's sort of just a theory at this point. But but my guess is that, yeah, you'll, you'll notice the difference if they end up doing that. Yeah. I hope we see some athlete uh, thank the fans, the best six men. Because, <laughs> I don't know, like I, I agree with you, right? Players mention all the time they feed off the energy of the fans. But also, like, I, I'm sure you've had this experience of you see YouTube clips of guys just practicing, and it's amazing, right? Like, yeah. I saw this clip the other day uh, when Michael Jordan was in the front office for the Wizards. He just challenged some guy to one-on-one when he was no longer in the league. And somebody secretly recorded it on their phone. They just smoked the guy, and it was awesome. It was like vintage Michael Jordan. So uh, I think – Players can rise to the occasion without the fans, but no doubt something's lost. I didn't even think of that, Ben, which is really interesting, which is how much will it affect the performance of the player? I think that's, that's super interesting to think about. And there'll be a lot of, you know, if they do roll this out, there'll be a lot of data analysis on people saying, you know, how is this, how is that social aspect and the, the energy that they get from the fans? How does that actually influence the, the product? Absolutely. All right. I want to close out by talking about two things that I actually think Tiger King is a good jumping off point to talk about both. So TV shows, or I guess you would just call them like documentary series, whatever series versus podcasts. So I know you listen to the Tiger King podcast. I watched the show. Uh, So I I know we probably had a different experience, but let's start off by saying like, do you think you listen to more podcast hours or consume more TV shows at this point? And it, and depending on which one, talk about why. Yeah, great, great question. Um, I go back and forth. I, I definitely like when I'm commuting, I have about a 45 minute hour long commute. So that's an hour and a half of podcasts every day. So that's a lot easier uh, to absorb more podcast content, um, obviously when I'm commuting, but these days I'm not commuting. So I would say I'm doing a lot more TV than podcasts. I do, I love podcasts because you're able to do stuff you know, like I can do the dishes and listen to a podcast. I can fold my laundry and listen to it. I can clean the house so I can be productive. I can get that sort of like, I'm doing what I need to do today while also absorbing some media that I can connect with people about and learn about. So I love podcasts. Um, I've done a lot of true crime podcasts and that's actually how I first heard about Tiger King sort of, I don't know if it was before this was actually a phenomenon or I was just sort of tuned out to that whole craze. Um, but I did hear about it first as a podcast. I got about three podcast episodes in and then people started like freaking out about it and saying, have you watched it? And I was like, no, you're going to ruin it for me. Uh, And the way they pace out the story in the podcast is a lot different. So I actually did have somebody tell me some information that comes up very early in the TV show that doesn't come up till late in the podcast. So that's a little challenging. People are always saying like, I'm not going to ruin it. I'm not going to ruin it, but, and then they ruin it. They're like, what, what? It's like the no offense thing, you know, no offense, but, your hair With all due respect, sir. <laughs> like, well, I'm offended. You can't just say that. It doesn't erase it. So, yeah, love podcasts, man. I, I they're more of like a midday thing for me. Like if I'm if I'm commuting or doing, you know, like I said, doing the dishes, doing yard work, whatever it is. Um, and then TV shows. I've actually so just to switch it back. I got if you haven't seen Mars, the, the it might be Netflix original content. Oh too. yeah, I've seen Mars. Oh my god, we I'm, can talk I'm, about I'm Mars all day, too, right? Yeah, we. <laughs> But I've been doing that one, and that's really interesting too, because that blends. I've never seen this before. Actually, and a documentary, it. like it blends, blend. yeah, fictitious with documentary, which I feel like is almost like it's almost not fair, you know, because your mind sort of starts to believe that the fictional stuff is connected to the uh, documentary stuff. So I have some thoughts about that. I won't go too deep into it, but um, yeah, I've been watching the Mars show, which I'm like super enthralled in. I usually don't don't love that sort of drama style but um but yeah i'm like halfway through season two probably finish it tonight yeah one, one thing about mars and we, we can save this for another podcast but i've had this fascination with astronauts for quite a while and i feel like you, you read astronaut autobiographies or hear about them they kind of have that military slash athlete type build where you know gotta do my best for the team um, it's all about sacrificing the individual and doing what's best on, on account of everyone else um, just the amount of discipline and selflessness has always impressed me. 
I think Mars does a good job of taking you to the personal private side of what it would be like to be an astronaut and some of the trade-offs those guys have to make. I think you're on mute, buddy. <laughs> well, of course, that was going to be my uh, the best moment of my of my podcast here. No, but uh, I, I was just looking up because A Year in Space is another documentary that I watched recently that I think you would really, really love, which sort of speaks to this. It's, uh, I have to come up with the guy's name here. I think it's Scott Kelly. Yeah, Scott Kelly. Yeah, so, so cool, man. Just that sort of re- that like groundbreaking research and you're like tuned in the whole time and you get the whole like backstory, the emotional sort of like implications on his family and, and the implications on the future of science. And like, that's another one where it's just like, Super, super hard to beat. I love that stuff. Again, as sort of like a science fiction space enthusiast like yourself, um, I love that one. Yeah, I haven't seen a year in space, so I'll totally check that out. Yeah, um, Any podcast, Rex? Oh, man. Yeah, so I went through a phase like probably a couple of weeks ago where I was doing a full like true crime podcast in like two days. Um, so it's probably like eight to six hours of, of listening to podcasts. Um, my favorite all time was probably up and vanished. Um, that was a really, really cool one. It's super long. You can kind of skip ahead. They have these little, like, uh, you know, where like the viewers ask questions that come up in between. Um, so you can skip those or the listeners obviously ask questions. Um, but that was a really good one. Um, yeah, I'll have to, uh, I'll have to have a more exhaustive list prepared for you for you another time. Um, there was one that took place in New Hampshire. It was by New Hampshire Public Radio. It was like Bear, Bear Valley or something like that. Um, that was pretty sweet. Uh, Your Own Backyard has been doing really well. I sort of keep an eye on the, the chartable uh, true crime podcast ranks, and uh, Your Own Backyard has been doing really well. My sister really liked that one too, so that was cool. Um, yeah, I'll come up with some more for you next time, Benny, but those are some good ones to, uh, to get you started. Awesome. I will include those in the show notes and then we can make this a recurring segment. So all the viewers can get your, your awesome Rex. <laughs> and I'll be there to uh, apply all that like mean social pressure. If they have it, Oh, you didn't watch this yet. <laughs> awesome. Well, man, I, I super appreciate you being on the show. Any, oh, any closing words before we head out for the day? No, like I feel like you could do a podcast of its own on this stuff, you know, like uh, we could we could go all day. So if you did listen to this whole thing, yeah, thank you. This is, this is really fun to do and, and uh, Ben, some great questions and a great conversation. Awesome, Trev. Thanks for doing it. I'll talk to you later. All right, later, man. Thanks for listening. To hear more episodes of Stock Talking and read a blog with my latest trade recommendations, market commentary, and more, visit postcoronastocks.com.